0: diseases to treat. And there's so many different variations of otitis that we can see in veterinary practice. But when I try to teach about how to treat otitis, there are so many different layers and things that we have to think about. I think it can be really confusing. We just think about, okay, we're going to start this tropical eardrop, but we have to think about otitis almost in a 3D fashion. Like there's so many different variables that we have to address, and that can sound very overwhelming, But ultimately, once you get some practice into considering different factors and causes that can lead to otitis, it becomes second nature and something that you'll very easily be able to implement very quickly, even when you're going through those quick um, exams in a very busy veterinary practice. You know, when we talk about otitis, it is something that's very common. Lots of different insurance companies have done um, studies and surveys, and they usually find that otitis is in the top five things in a general practice that's being treated. Um, You know, itch and paritis is usually one of the top things too. So really, dermatology is something that you guys are seeing all the time. What can be so interesting about otitis is just like anything else in dermatology, it is extremely important to pay attention to the history. You know, is this an acute presentation? Is this chronic? Is this something that has chronically happened, but this particular episode is acute? Because we can have so many different causes of otitis, right? We can have allergies we see all the time, day in, day out. Then we get things like foreign bodies and masses. Then we get, you know, some other bizarre type things that can cause otitis too. Um, So it's important for us to look at is this acute? Is this chronic? What types of signs are we seeing? Is there an odor? Is there lots of pain where we think we need something like corticosteroids? Are they pruritic to the ear? Are they behaviorally changing? So are they all of a sudden really aggressive, really uncomfortable because maybe I am going to reach something more systemic because I think that the you know inflammation is causing so much discomfort. We have to be more aggressive. Are they showing signs of otitis media? So like, are they having a head tilt? Are we noticing things like corner syndrome? Um, So these are all really important things for us to recognize when we're looking at a case of otitis. And systematically, there's a few different things we have to address in otitis cases. We have to think of structure function, etiology. We really need to take the time in our diagnostic approach. Um, And for me, diagnostic approach, of course, it's gonna include things like otoscopy and cytology, but we are thinking about the history and do we need to do more advanced things. Do we need to open up the ear canal with something like a steroid and then come back a week or two later and evaluate deeper? Do we need to do a sedated ear exam because that pet is really uncomfortable and we're having a hard time seeing deeper and maybe there's an inciting cause that's not allergies like a foreign body we need to take out? Is it something bizarre? They're not responding the way that a normal otitis case should, and we need to send them out to be referred to a dermatologist. Do they need advanced imaging like CT scan? I've had cases where they don't respond to typical things, or they develop other clinical signs like corners, and then we um, refer them out for CT scans just to evaluate deeper if something else could be going on that I can't see. Do we have them go under anesthesia for videotoscopy? So... As you can kind of start to collect, there's lots of different things that we really have to evaluate from a uh, diagnostic approach treatment options of course you know we've talked previously on the podcast about things like why ear flushing is so important and then there's topical therapy which we use a lot in some severe cases we have to use systemic therapy and then you know last resort but sometimes necessary in these cases is surgical intervention you know we lose the battle and they have to go see a surgeon to have a tikaboo and just completely have that ear canal removed because it's so calcified so you know that's a lot of things again that we have to think about what i want to address and um This is on an older episode of the podcast, but I want to resurface this topic a bit because again, you know, otitis is really important. It's something you guys are commonly seeing. And that is something called the PSPP system. So it's an easy way to really think through what needs to happen with this particular case of otitis as far as treatment diagnostics. um, And then, you know, what are other things that could be contributing that I really have to consider to successfully not just treat this episode of as Pets dealing with, but future episodes. How do we minimize that from happening as much? And so PSPP is kind of an acronym um, that probably like the last 10, 15 years uh, we've been using in veterinary dermatology. And that's a systematic way to think about different ways we have to address cases of otitis. And what this stands for is PSPP, Primary cause, secondary cause, predisposing factors, perpetuating factors. So lots of P's and an S. So whatever order you want to make of that. So let's kind of start from the beginning. So P S P P P. primary causes. So primary causes are going to be things that incite uh etiology that's going to damage that ear canal epithelium and it's going to cause subsequent inflammation. So this is going to be one of those important things we talk about in dermatology. Anytime a pet has pyoderma, they have otitis, we can treat those things and that's important to use topical therapy, systemic when needed to treat the infection. But we always want to know why. Why is this pet having recurrent otitis? You know, why is it just unilateral versus bilateral? Why, why, why? So, primary cause is figuring out that why. Why is the ear infection happening? Um, We have to diagnose the primary cause in order to manage uh, the future of that pet and try to prevent recurrent episodes or at least having them happen as bad. And, you know, we're going to see a lot of primary causes for um, pets coming in to see us be allergic. So atopic dermatitis, cutaneous adverse food reaction, going to be some of the main offenders of causing the being the primary reason a pet's breaking with otitis. But remember, they're not the only reasons. And just like skin disease and pyoderma, if you have a pet that's not quite matching a typical allergic history, there are other things we have to think about. So uh, endocrinopathies, you know, a pet being hypothyroid, a pet having hyperadrenocorticism um, certainly can cause things like otitis, autoimmune diseases. So, pemphigus, I mean, one of my worst pseudomonas cases has been what well, was the dog that had a really bad case of pemphigus foliaceus. So, anything really that can cause a pyoderma in a pet, um, you know, can cause otitis. And so, we have to be thinking about the why there's an ear infection. Great. Let's treat it. But what do we need to do to get started on that path of figuring things out? And I understand not every pet owner is going to jump into a whole workup, but we have to at least start the process. You know, whether it's a diet trial or at least planting the seed or running some lab work if it's a pet that we feel like endocrinopathy could be reasonable. You know, we can take it very step by step, but we just need the owners to know that we have to kind of start the process of figuring out why these otitis cases are happening, especially if they're getting recurrent, because we do not want to wait to figure out the why until we're into the bad pseudomonas otitis or methicillin resistant staph otitis. we want to get ahead of it before that happens because infections are one of the more difficult things that we deal with in veterinary dermatology so moving on to the one non-p and that is s secondary causes so this is, is pretty simple infection itself. So these infections, yeast bacteria, whether it's cocci or rods, they don't create pathology in a healthy ear, but they will incite disease in ears that are affected by things like primary causes or predisposing factors, which we're going to get to. So secondary is going to be yeast or bacteria. So, you know, this is where I'm going to make my way into making sure I mention cytology because I can Mention cytology in just about any topic we talk about on the podcast. It is, I know there's a lot of combination products out there, and it seems very um, simple to say, Well, I don't need cytology. I'm just going to use a combination product. So it doesn't matter. But it does matter because what if that case doesn't respond? How are you going to treat? Knowing if it's rods versus if it's cocci is going to make me change what antibiotics I'm going to preferentially use in that case, or if they're non-responsive, what am I going to go to next? It does matter. You know, there are certain antibiotics we know do not work as well in cocci, do not work as well in rod infections. You know, if it's just yeast, what do you do if they don't respond? What if it changes? That's the other thing that we can see happen is a pet comes in, they have a bad ear infection, we start them on a combination product, They come in, owner says they're still not better, and it's completely changed. Like it started out as a really bad rod infection. We put them on a treatment for it. They come in, rods are gone, but now it's yeast. Well, I don't want to just keep changing different potent topical antibiotics. If now I know I'm just dealing with a yeast infection, I might change to a topical antifungal that's more potent like posaconazole that's in Posatex. So it is really important we do our cytologies and we know what we're dealing with and we're repeating cytologies um, and recording them so we know how to change our treatment. So that will be the end of my cytology soapbox (laughs) for this episode of the podcast. But rest assured, I will get back on that soapbox for sure um, probably in the next episode. Always a soapbox I can hop on. Um, Okay. So then moving on to the second two piece. So now instead of causes, we're moving into factors. So predisposing factors, um, these are going to be things uh, that probably aren't as typical compared to the other factor we're going to talk about. They alone don't cause otitis, but they increase the risk for development and persistence of infection. And they essentially work with the primary secondary causes. So this is going to be things like, you have a dog who's born with um, ear canal atresia, so they have abnormal conformation of their ear canal. So I had a cat recently where kept getting otitis, and when I did videotoscopy, what I saw is that ear canal was only half developed, like I hit a wall of tissue, you know, halfway down the what should be an ear canal, so that's abnormal conformation. You know, something like a topical reaction potentially could be a predisposing factor, And then the last thing that I want to talk about, which I think is one of the most important things, especially when we get into some of these chronic uh, episodes of otitis, and I often see, you know, not as well as addressed in some of these really bad cases and that is perpetuating factors so perpetuating factors are changes in anatomy and physiology as a response to otitis usually we're going to see perpetuating factors in chronic cases but it certainly can happen with acute cases you get a grass-on foxtail shoved into your ear canal your ear canal can swell very very fast And so it's going to, the problem with perpetuating factors, so perpetuating factors would be things like stenosis, calcification in chronic cases, fibrosis. The problem with perpetuating factors is it it accentuates the development of secondary infections. So we have a harder time getting rid of things like that nasty pseudomonas. If we have a completely stenotic ear canal, our topical therapy can't get all the way down, the pet's really uncomfortable, it's really inflamed, our therapy's not getting to where it needs to go. Um, it can also prevent resolution of otitis by causing irreversible changes. And why it's really important for us to think about perpetuating factors in these cases, think about the stereotypical you know, older Cocker Spaniel who's been dealing with food allergy and atopic dermatitis its whole life and now we've got ear canals that are swollen shut, is we can get to the point of irreversible changes. Irreversible changes are, is calcification. So when I talk about the ear canal exam, one of the things that's extremely important in an ear canal exam, beyond just looking down the ear canal, is palpating the cartilage. You can just do it by you know massaging the outside of the head where the ear canal is. You can have some really stenotic ears where you cannot look down that ear canal, and if you palpate the cartilage, it's still pliable and flexible you can you can reverse those. You can change that. You can completely open up that ear canal. And usually we're going to do that through things like corticosteroids. Um, sometimes I see NSAIDs being used in these cases, um, nonsteroidal anti-inflammatories. Honestly, they don't work that well in cases that are really swollen. It might provide some, um, you know, Of course, it's going to give some anti-inflammation and it may be a little bit of pain relief, but honestly, they do not work as well as steroids. So these cases where the ear canals are swollen shut as a perpetuating factor, any hope we have is hopefully steroids. If you cannot use steroids for some reason, pet's diabetic, pet's cushionoid, um, then you could try cyclosporine. I have had uh, cases that have responded well to cyclosporine. It just takes a bit longer. Um, But if you palpate that ear canal cartilage, and you feel calcified tissue, and it is rock hard. We cannot reverse that. So if it's you know mild calcification and the owner you know wants to try to medically manage it, maybe we can. But if you have those cases where you grab the ear and it's just solid rock, like it is is rock hard and it's swollen shut, they should be referred to a surgeon, not a dermatologist, because unfortunately calcification is not something we can really reverse medically. So it can look really bad, but we need to know if it's calcified or not, which is why palpating that canal is extremely important. And that's a perpetuating factor that we have to think about. And same with these topical therapies that are um, combination products. The steroids are different in all of these. You know, there are some that are pretty wimpy steroids in the topical product, and there are some that are much more potent. And they, if there's a lot of inflammation, we want might, want something with a more potent steroid in that topical treatment. So that's why it's really important to look at our cytology and look at the case and what we're trying to deal with. So kind of to review again, PSPP system when you're looking at these cases. First P, primary cause, the Why? Allergies, endocrinopathies, foreign body mass, like why is this infection actually happening in the ear canal? S, secondary cause, is it yeast, is it bacteria? We're going to do our cytology, know exactly what we're dealing with, and we're going to record it. Um, The second P, predisposing factors, so kind of weird things like anatomical changes, congenital changes, maybe topical reactions. And then the last P, perpetuating factor, that's all the changes we see in the anatomy and physiology in response to an um, infection and otitis. So stenotic ear canals, um, if they become calcified, fibrotic. So PSPP, primary cause, secondary cause, predisposing factor, perpetuating factor. And again, once you start really thinking through these on cases, it might seem cumbersome in the beginning, but you'll very quickly pick up Your thought process as you're looking at these cases, and it's going to make you more successful in managing these cases of otitis. So, I hope you guys found that helpful. It is something that I'm thinking through a lot of when I see these cases, Um, and I think it's really helpful just to kind of get wrap my mind around what needs to happen. What flush do we need? What diagnostics need to be done? What workup needs to be done to figure out the primary cause? And then do we need something like oral steroids, how deep-sea infection, you know, all of this stuff in the PSPP system is addressed, and I think it's a nice, simple way to kind of think about the full management of otitis externa.